Today I welcome Luke Felker, Head of School at Bay School of San Francisco. In this episode, I discuss creating an innovative curriculum based on immersive terms, whole school mindfulness, managing change and recruiting talent. Your personal journey to education is being quite unconventional and quite remarkable. Seemingly destined for a law career, you had a revelation and decided not to take the entrance exam to law school. Instead, you took a year off to look inward. Why? And what was that revelation? In brief, I I think it's easy as a student in most traditional education systems. You just plug and chug, right? You see the next ladder rung, you move forward, you take the exam, you keep going. And there's not a lot of time to pause along the way about, God forbid, what you might really want from your life. I had the luxury of taking that moment. I had the privilege of taking that moment in college. Both my parents were in education. And so for a long time, you invariably don't want to be what your parents are. And yet it became clearer and clearer to me that while I thought intellectually I was destined to go to law school, the reality is I spent all of my free time basically doing work that was somehow related to kids in education. Even when I was little, if I was taller than some other student, I wanted to be a supporter. I wanted to be a mentor. I wanted to be a tutor, whatever the case is. And that continued forward through college in terms of how I spent my free time and even how I spent my educational time. I was a government major, you know, getting ready again for a a certain path, political science. And then again, in my spare educational time, I was getting certified as a teacher. I was sitting in the middle of the LSAT, the entrance exam for law school, completing a logic game, ironically, perhaps uh, around uh, ordering cars to be parked in a garage. I just sort of had this moment of like, is this really what I want to do with my life? One of the most rebellious moments to date, I realized that, again, I, I might have been intellectually satisfied, but I wouldn't be happy in law. And so uh, I closed up the uh, exam and headed out for a drive in the mountains, knowing that that was the right call. I mean, it's quite remarkable for that, for someone so young to have such a defining moment. How did your parents react? They were utterly supportive. I think I always put far more pressure on myself to quote unquote succeed than they ever did. I think perhaps they knew or wondered all along. I'm technically a fourth generation educator, and I think they wondered if I'd end up going into that lane. So ultimately, they wanted me to be happy. Didn't really matter what I did. Deep down inside, they were pretty thrilled I, I went the educational path. Yeah. And um, so what, what did you do? A mix of, of everything one, one could do. Um, I traveled. Um, I worked. Uh, I volunteered. I spent time with friends. I spent time learning the craft of nothing. (laughs) I actually had a month that was completely unplanned, which may have been the best thing I could have possibly done uh, to the extent that I overplanned most of my life to date. Had an amazing experience with a program called Outward Bound, sort of spending six weeks away from the day-to-day, really having time to just pause and think, which again, was a luxury that I hadn't included in my education. Yeah, I, I actually spent two weeks in Outward Bound in the UK. I think I was 22. But that was just part of a graduate training scheme that I joined, the rung of a a ladder. But it was brilliant being able just to go out there on nothing and just to explore wilderness and be together with other people of your age. Didn't feel like work. It was uh, profound on many levels. How did these experiences shape you as a teacher and then as a leader? I think my greatest takeaway from all of this as I went into education was the power of relationships and connection. I think we can spend so much time in schools speaking about the nuts and bolts of schools, the program, the curricula, the facilities, the details, scopes and sequences, and all of these things are important. But at the end of the day, if there isn't some kind of deeper connection between a student and a teacher in a community of learners, you know, the education isn't as rich or as impactful. And 
I think that emotional piece for me about what drew me in education, I hope keeps me grounded in what is going to be most important for kids today versus all the things we can intellectualize as adults that we think might be important for kids. Yeah. And did you seek out the right educational environment to be able to nurture your own kind of needs? Because you were very clear on what, what it is it probably you didn't want. Was it easy finding an educational stream or schools to join and be part of their, their sure. mission? It's gotten easier and easier, right? I, I think the clearer we are about who we are, who we are, and where we thrive as people or in our positions as educators, the easier it is to say, hey, that's an awesome school, but you know what? I don't think the synchronicity is there. You know, they have a different focus. They have other needs for their programs. And so I've been fortunate to both, A, be lucky initially to have landed in some schools that were really good matches for me. But then as I've also grown further in my career, hopefully being more thoughtful about where that mutuality of match is going to be strong. I love what I do. I love my position. It is never dull. It is full of variety. And it is really critical that the synchronicity be there. Every school, I think, is sort of oddly uncommon in the best of ways. They're distinctive, quirky places um, when you really get down beneath the surface. And so uh, it's great when I think there can be a real match between sort of the employee base and the mission and values. Would you recommend all students take time off to look inward before jumping into college or career path? In short, yes. It may not be right for every student. My father was a university dean for decades at a very large public university in the States. And uh, if he could have made one change to the American educational system, it was based on the idea that essentially a freshman year of university was wasted on 18-year-olds that these amazing resources of universities, the depth of knowledge and experience that awaited you was not what the average 18-year-old sought. It may not be a gap year. It may not be a full year. How do we create more time and space for the average teen to really think about what they may want from the next four years of their lives at university and beyond? Yeah, and I completely agree. And I do find it astonishing that we almost shape these young adults, give them all this curiosity. We give them all this framework to learn. We kind of force them into institutions and then almost forcing them to think about careers and they're limited by the people they're around, the schools they go to, the advice they get given. And a lot of the time, they'll just end up in this cookie cutter or this wheel that society has created for us all to kind of go off and work and be in a job and career without really finding the time to probably learn what you love and then carve out a career. Your father was ahead of the game there. Do you think it's difficult to change education? Yes, it is. I think change is difficult in all industries. I think it's remarkably challenging in schools. What you've just described, I think, has been a fairly traditional, you know, post-industrial age model of education for a very long time in much of the world. And it is tough to change. It's one of the reasons that while my heart has generally been and would be in public education, I have appreciated the flexibility that is afforded by independent schools. There's pros and cons to every model, and I appreciate that the scale allows us to potentially impact change at a far faster pace than some of the complexities that can be found in other types of educational models. Your school-based school is in San Francisco, and three years ago, you introduced what you call Bay 2.0, which is very tech and very cool. What is that, and can you describe the nuts and bolts process of getting there? Bay 2.0 is, is really a story about a massive schedule and calendar redesign that was fundamentally around academic boldness and innovation, not minutes and hours. So that's what's changed. It was a process that galvanized and united our entire faculty and staffity around a clarified vision for Bay's academic future. 
and one that I should note ended in unanimous faculty support for moving forward with Bay 2.0. I think important to note that for us, this update to our schedule and calendar, while on some level I think was revolutionary, for us was an evolution. And it's really based on our commitment to interdisciplinary, experiential, and project-based learning. In terms of process, it was a multi-year iterative process to bring us to Bay 2.0. There was a scheduled 2.0 committee, not surprisingly, with wide engagement from faculty, academic leadership, senior leadership, and as well as the board, including great partnerships with outside institutions and outside thinkers to really inform our work. The goal was to recommend to the leadership team and then to myself as head of school that final schedule, that final path forward. And remarkably proud that 100% of our faculty voted in support of this new schedule. And this at a school where generally we would have a hard time agreeing on pizza toppings. So I think it really spoke to the depth and the longevity of, you know, again, a probably about a three to four year process to bring us to 2.0. It's not easy introducing change into any organization. And in your experience, what are the conditions that need to be in place? I would comment on four areas. One is a change orientation culture. Uh, the second are systems of distributed leadership and participation. Third, having an established inquiry process. And lastly, and not surprisingly, a hearty dose of responsiveness and flexibility. Happy to comment on any of those, but I think those are the four key nuggets. Yeah, no, amazing. And then obviously you commenced on this three years ago, and then not long after that, the pandemic hit. What were the lessons from that for your program and how did you adapt? The lessons really reinforced the value of those foundational conditions I just referenced. Take a change orientation culture. Change is tough. And so how do you bake into the systems and processes of a school a commitment and interest to change? For instance, we talk about a culture of yes. How do we generally say yes as a school to innovators and builders? And how do we give them the resources and the time to bring to life their ideas? That culture of yes made it a lot easier to then respond to you know, the massive organizational challenges that the pandemic created, because we already tended to lean into interesting design questions and intriguing design solutions. You know, likewise, you could talk about distributed leadership and participation. While Bay certainly has plenty of growth areas and areas we can improve, a great deal of the program and the work of the institution is shared and is distributed amongst faculty, faculty leaders, and other faculty. The collective holding and sharing of the mission and program, I think, put us in a far better place, we say, ready to meet the moment when the pandemic hit. Being a community of builders and a community that is shared in the creation of a place, I think, really fast-tracked our ability to use an overused word, pivot, create the programming and to sustain what was necessary for the educational life to continue to be vibrant for our students. The last piece I'd hit is, and, and in some sense, I realize this is obvious to many folks in schools, but it's always about culture. The challenges of this past year reinforced just the critical nature of what it means to have a strong community. Our community has rallied from day one. We've been better able to respond to the past year and a half because of the community strengths, again, going into the pandemic. You know, strengths including inclusivity. We're a place that honors and empowers voices. We want folks to feel included and that they belong. And so when stressors hit, when things and times are tougher, more people are ready to say, hey, I'm already in this, so let's do what we need to do to keep this school moving. I also appreciate the real clarity in our values. You know, schools can plod along, but if they're not clear on their values in times of challenge, things begin to crumble. We look at our precepts, um, 10 foundational aspirations that we live by at bay. 
look at our core elements of our community, morning meeting, where we gather together most days of the week to simply be in the community, to share stories, to share announcements, practice mindfulness before we head off to the day. All of these touchstones of culture made us more ready and nimble uh, when a hardship has hit over the past 18 months. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And you have to live and breathe values. And it's not always easy within the school. They're often written as a corporate statement, but very hard sometimes to live by. But it's clear that, that your model of education, your model of inspiring change and the way that you've redesigned your curriculum have all led to your whole community absolutely embedding the values that you hold close to you. I want to kind of get onto immersive terms because base school is one of few USA schools to offer some, you know, this term immersive terms leading to more of a mastery model of teaching. What are immersive terms and how are they different from more traditional teaching methods? The key factor is time. An immersive term, uh, we offer two of them each year in January and May and June. In each immersive term, a student is going to take a single course for three weeks, going deep with a singular focus. Unlike, for instance, a typical semester or trimester in the States, where students may carry four or five, six or seven courses at once, something probably fairly common to all of us when we think back to our high school education. And the beauty is when you remove the constraints of time and space, suddenly almost anything is possible. So imagine, for instance, a course in atmospheric science where students essentially design and then launch, track and recover their own weather balloons, also creating the data systems to then take in any number of pieces of data as you know, the balloons float 100,000 feet above the earth. And then they assess and analyze that data. Or the art of the short story, where students can work with established authors to develop their craft and to have the time to really go deep in a story of passion and care of their own. A course called Water in the American West, where the essential question is, whose water is it? A question that continues to plague Western states to today. So our students head off to the eastern Sierra Nevadas and spend time on site, completing a whole range of scientific studies, as well as trying to understand more about the politics and the sociological pieces to how people basically claim water and how that works. And again, time is the key. We hear from students in our feedback forums that the idea of going deep, it's a nice platitude, but suddenly when they actually have the time and space to do so, where they don't need to do other homework, they don't need to head to another class, a different level of thinking occurs, another level of creativity occurs, and they can explore what is it like to actually begin to live this profession. Again, if you think about the typical high school experience, it has very little to do or relate to the modern work scenario where we tend to, again, go deep in any number of areas as opposed to having 20 different topics on a given day. Thus far, they've proven to be very impactful for students. If I could take it a year off from my work these days, I'd like to just go back, frankly, and take immersive courses. I have a lot to learn. Yeah, me too. I mean, when I, when I was reading, doing some background research on your school and the immersive terms, I was chatting to my teenage kids. I just think that they would thoroughly benefit from doing something like that. How do you get away from sort of measurement and sort of the success examination side? Are there still exams in this model or is it assessed in a very different way? Generally, assessments at the base school tend to be far more oriented towards projects, though they're absolutely skill assessments in all courses um, over the course of one's four-year experience. Assessment is a key lane to developing these courses, as it is in all areas of high school. You know, we often think that no matter what we believe about good education, we all have to produce a transcript. 
and we all need to produce a transcript that can be understood by colleges and universities. So in some cases, we run into situations where, again, the part of the phrase, the tail is sort of wagging the rest of the dog because we still need to produce a certain type of outcome that colleges can understand. We've worked hard, uh, along with a host of other schools, to begin to redefine what good assessment looks like. And it's going to generally be going forward far less about a singular grade, as if somehow that's going to define one's academic experience, as opposed to this concept of mastery. Much of school can be broken down into both finite and longitudinal skills that you're going to develop in every course over the course of those four years and beyond. And so we're working hard at looking at how we measure those skills differently and then how we communicate that measurement effectively to colleges and universities. We're the part of an organization called the Mastery Transcript Consortium that is also piloting different and innovative ways to showcase the wonderful knowledge and skills of our students without having to be as reductive as assigning a single letter grade. We're thrilled to be a part of that process and investigating how we can best showcase the tremendous abilities of our students. Fantastic. And, you know, having that currency of, you know, assessment to be able to go through to get college entry is a really important part. So, you know, having lots of schools and having this dedicated group who are championing it and the college board are listening, that's massive change. If you take immersives, um, regardless of the skills that they support, regardless of you know the outcomes that we're really clear about in immersives, these are the kinds of experiences that colleges want to see in students. Again, living an experience called Water in the West, exploring both the science and the political change behind water management, far more relevant to our world than simply another AP exam. And so not surprisingly, immersives have been very well received by colleges and universities because it reflects the real work of adulthood. I hope you're enjoying the Inspiring Schools podcast. We're always on the hunt for guests with vision and a desire to share them. If you'd like to be involved or know of someone with great ideas at a school near you, please drop me an email to podcast at interactiveschools.com and my team will be in touch. You work with the Hawkins School in Ohio to redesign base curriculum. How did that come about and what was it like to work with another school to make such important changes to your school's curriculum? So Hawken has run a program called Intensives for years. Uh, They may have been the first in the country at the secondary level, and they're well known for their work. One of the things I appreciate about Bay is that we always come at every question with a learner's mindset. I think we bring a lot of expertise and skill, and we are but one school with approximately 85 employees. We have a lot we can learn from other institutions. And so finding institutions like Hawken or University Prep in Seattle finding schools that are experimenting and exploring with innovative programs. We want to be a part of those dialogues. And we have so much to gain by learning from them and sharing back our own experiences. Immersives and intensives are both at once the same and very different. We were able to learn from what worked for them. We were able to ask questions about, you know, what would have you changed in your first two years of your program and learn from those experiences. And now as a school, we're able to be a part of that dialogue with other institutions pondering programs like these. Those partnerships, I think, are essential, and we're going to always be better off learning from one another before we implement massive systemic change. Do you still work alongside the Hawkins School to, to develop new ideas? Beautiful part about our time with Hawkins going back about four to five years ago, it was really about person-to-person and position-to-position connection. And so we've remained connected to Hawkins, whether that be our, our directors of college counseling, whether that be our academic dean. And there's you know, certainly, I think, like-minded schools and like-minded school leaders and teachers across the country who stay well in touch with one another. And that's, I think, a really powerful part about both the work we're doing to build more innovative schools, also how to make it sustainable. No one wants to be alone in this work. You don't want to feel like you're alone in your department at bay. 
And it's great to feel like we're also not alone in it as a school. I think we're all stronger and are able to sort of stick with the good work when we can have a sort of outsiders to inspire us. You've written that you want Bay students to have the courage and sense of humor to flourish in an uncertain world. That takes more than a curriculum, no matter how innovative and engaging. It takes an engaged community and a unique culture. Has it been difficult? Yes and no. I would say no in the sense that when you attract employees who are all interested in building and sustaining culture, it's simply part of the day. There's no part of the Bay experience from the program down to the smallest details. How lunch is created at Bay speaks to culture, speaks to norms, speaks to inclusion. And so in some sense, it's part of our routine and, of course, to do it well, to do it thoughtfully and to build a culture that's always evolving. We're very similar to who we were 17 years ago, and students change. We need to be responsive to that. And so it is the ongoing hard work of balancing what do we always remain true to with how do we continue to evolve and making sure we have our eyes open and ears open to what needs to change and never become so sure that we've really figured it out. And Bay has a community that has mindfulness as a central feature, even making time for all school meditation. It's a bit of a buzzword these days in terms of mindfulness. So can you describe the benefits you experience as a community from having it as a cultural centerpiece? When Bay launched in 2004, I I think mindfulness could have at best been seen as a, a West Coast fad. And even here in SF, it was viewed as a bit out there, you know, despite the fact, obviously, it's rooted in a host of spiritual traditions, you know, going back millennia. Fast forward to 2021, the evolving research is so clear about the impact of adopting a mindfulness practice, and it's being embraced by, you know, myriad schools and myriad industries. Fundamentally, it's about supporting students in developing their ability to create space in their own minds between a stimulus and their response. I think something we likely work on as adults and perhaps struggle with. You know, we don't need to belabor the sort of rate of data and intake in this world. Information is constantly coming at us. And so how do we all create a routine and a regimen that allows us to be more reflective in our responses? And that's one of the reasons that we begin most days with a morning meeting at bay, which includes two to three minutes of a practice of mindfulness. I grew up, you know, in the Midwest and back East. When I came to San Francisco and and first experienced mindfulness, I sat there quietly along with everyone else and invariably sort of wondered, is something supposed to be happening? Am I supposed to be doing something during this? I will acknowledge I struggled with it at first. Um, And and that was, I think, just partly my own sort of type A, let's keep this moving. And six years later, it has slowed me in really powerful ways. It has allowed me to be more thoughtful in, again, positions in schools that are invariably, you know, and ridiculously complex. It has also helped me, I think, to grow as a person and as a learner. It's interesting. I I think the average ninth grader at Bay, they follow along quite dutifully, but I I would suspect most of them are wondering, what exactly is this? We complete exit interviews for our seniors, and one of the most consistent themes we hear is that they have grown to value mindfulness. And again, it's not necessarily the Bay version, right? We want students to find their own practice, but that each senior in their own way begins to realize that the world is crazy and full let alone the impact of social media, the constant on presence. And it has helped to slow me down and to reinforce that I need some me time that focuses on my own voice and my own thoughts. When we think about the change we want to see in this world, about systems of justice and equity that need to develop further, and frankly, how poor at times our adult community can be at dealing with these issues, we think this is such an essential 21st century skill for change. 
have you extended this beyond your sort of teachers and your students to your parent body? Are they involved in the meditation and the mindfulness as part of the community? I would say we're in process. The average parent and guardian, I would like to believe, would absolutely be well aware about mindfulness at bay as a core value. They'll have experienced it at a morning meeting, which parents and guardians are welcome to attend. We'll often include moments of mindfulness ahead of all parent and guardian presentations, you name it. I think one of the questions we have in front of us is how do we further engage the wider Bay community that may be current parents and guardians, it may be alumni, it may be outside community members, in sharing with us more deeply some of the practices we hold dear. And so that could be mindfulness. It could be engaging more deeply with us on some of the critical equity work ahead. I think we're always looking to expand out and share. And uh, we're fortunate that we have such an involved parent and guardian community, which you know isn't always the case in high school. We really want to invite folks in because I think the student experience is stronger when parents and guardians have both an understanding and an ability to practice some of the, of the high school values and experiences at home with their kids. It's really important because parents hold such a critical part of their child's well-being and upbringing. You know, I often find it strange sometimes that parents don't. They can almost wait for the school to do all of this and hopefully it's all going to be working out. And I know how difficult it is to get into mindfulness and meditation because like you, I'm Taipei, very, very busy and I've tried it and I have tried and enjoyed it, but it has to become, how do you bring it into your absolute routine that is non-movable and it just becomes part of it? And I've not got that yet. Maybe this week, whilst I'm away, I'll rediscover it. You know, even six years in, I have my moments just like you. It's been a lifelong practice to slow myself down. And part of what Bay is and the practice of mindfulness can help develop is patience. That was not one of my greatest strengths growing up. Also being more patient for how we really adapt uh, and to bring in, whether it be change, whether it be mindfulness, you name it. So it's all a work in progress. <laughs> and with the length of time that students were in distance learning last year, were there any big takeaways for you about community culture, values or expectations? It was a clear reaffirmation about the importance of having a clear mission and purpose. Again, if you figure every system, every person, every structure of a school has been wildly stressed over the past 18 months at best. <laughs> uh, having clarity in what must be true and what we must do has been really important. I think, you know, Bay's deep focus on students and student voice and empowerment. And again, you know, all schools are student-centric, but I think how that's really lived in programming, how it's lived in teacher perspectives about to what degree they're really there to serve students or to what degree students are just there to learn from them. Philosophically, that can live out in very different ways. I think that sort of that focus on student voice and empowerment has only been reinforced as we really had a singular goal over the past year, and that was to keep our students grounded. And as well as possible, we've been very concerned about student health, student well-being, student anxiety, and to keep them learning. And if we could keep them grounded in that, you know, we knew that that would be an anchor that would see them through this time. I think going back to the conversation, one of the questions earlier, you know, all these aspects of change management in terms of how we manage change writ large, um, a spirit of inquiry. Part of our success over the past year has been, you know, really living that process as many schools did, had to pivot our curriculum online. Our experience with you know, making small bets um, in different ways that could allow us to learn what's going to work best. We're a school that takes in a lot of feedback. We're used to it. And so our ability to iterate programs in relatively short time periods to refine them, to really serve kids well, 
all that experience allowed us to, to pivot quickly this past or a year ago spring. I think in some sense, we come out of this pandemic as strong as we've ever been with really a clear reaffirmation of the values and sense of community that have built a young school to date. You've been a teacher and a leader at several schools. Looking back on those experiences, is there something different about Bay's hiring process that brings in people who are comfortable in an environment of constant change? I wouldn't describe our hiring processes as unique, though we are meticulous and focused. I would say on average, they're longer. <laughs> we spend a lot of time getting to know individuals. And by turn, they spend a lot of time getting to know us. And when we think about finding individuals who are comfortable to build in environments of change, I mean, in short, we test for it in hiring. We name it. We are not unclear about who we are and who we believe is more likely to thrive as an employee at Bay. It's easy to talk about it. And so in turn, we also provide artifacts, examples of change at Bay just as we seek artifacts out. You know, all of us can potentially talk a good game. So we want to learn more about what candidates have done in the past to build or create or sustain change. Clarity is really important, and it reinforces that, especially in teachers. You know, subject mastery is but one element we seek. We're looking for folks who also have a real process orientation to developing and building programs, as well as a real interest in student feedback and student centricity. In a traditional educational model, Typically, the teacher was sort of the sage on the stage. You know, they were there to dispense knowledge. Kids' minds would open up. Teachers would insert knowledge, stir, and carry forward. This is a far more interactive and responsive teaching environment at Bay. And so, again, we want to name that. We want to showcase it, and we want to understand what our candidates bring in that area. And I think, lastly, we're really explicit about our commitment to growth and supporting our faculty. Nobody comes fully formed in any position. We all bring strengths. We all bring growth areas. And so being really open about a commitment to a culture of feedback, where we're going to be sharing feedback with you, just as you're going to share feedback with us about what's working and what's not. And we're going to commit to growing together so that this can be an incredibly professionally nourishing place for you, as opposed to simply a place where you go into your classroom, close your door, you teach, and we never talk again. Yeah. And do you think the, the way you do have such a meticulous recruiting process, has it changed the type of teachers applying for the jobs because they are more maybe talented or ambitious or they just see that you've got something that's going to allow them to grow that is more relevant and fit for purpose that fit with their beliefs? I think as Bay has grown as an institution and has sort of established itself as a leader in progressive and experiential education, I think we have more teachers and staff who experience the values, precepts resonate with them, and want that opportunity to build. There's plenty of amazing schools where building looks very different, change is harder, things are more established, and there is a certain flexibility today that is inspiring and inviting. On average, in most positions, you know, we'll see folks saying, hey, we've sort of waited for an opportunity like this to come up. I can teach anywhere. I can't necessarily build the next iteration of a program that represents the best of a 21st century education. And Bay's ability and commitment to do it with the full support of the community, the board of trustees, and financial resources that can often support a culture of yes. That's really appealing. You know, after 2.0, there's always a 3.0. Have you started writing oh, goodness. it? Um, I, I think one of the strengths and challenges of Bay is that we need to occasionally learn how to stand still a bit more. We all love pondering what might be. And so I think especially as we come out of this pandemic, there are multiple conversations about where do we go next, if you will, with 3.0? How might immersives continue to evolve? 
what is the future of assessment at bay? To what degree assessment is a huge driver, sort of a foundation of program, as well as pondering, you know, where might independent schools continue to evolve? You know, without getting into the long and, and storied and fraught history of independent schools, they're complicated beasts. So what is it going to mean to continue to drive an institution of equity and inclusion within the independent school framework? That's a tough question. And the good news is, you know, I, I like folks in many other schools. We're surrounded by amazing colleagues. One of the things that sold me on Bay early on as, as I was exploring schools is, you know, beyond the values and morning meeting, all of which resonated with me, I had amazing conversations with staffalty. And the key is they asked fantastic questions and more importantly, they wanted to answer them. So on some level, we have no lack of questions about 3.0. And I suspect as we really get into the post-pandemic world in the coming year or so, uh, we're going to be working hard at it. I mean, the great thing is that you're set up for it. You're designed for it. So it doesn't matter when it happens. You're ready for it. You're open to it. And that's got to be an exciting place to lead and to be. It is. Finding institutions like Bay, I think, are incredibly stimulating. Uh, This has been one of the greatest professional homes of my life. And on occasion, I think most educators are probably looking forward to a good nap this July. Many are also um, just so excited to continue to be back with kids, you know, doing the right and good work. Well, I can't wait to book my flight and come out and visit you. Thanks ever so much for your time and your insights. I think your model of education absolutely sits with future school thinking. I look forward to seeing more and more schools adopt it. You can connect with me on Twitter, Instagram, and via LinkedIn. Remember, keep inspiring schools. We need more future school thinking now.